Distance Daddies. Welcome back to the 11th episode of Distance Daddies. On today's episode, we interview Mary Johnson, a running and strength coach featured in numerous magazines such as Runner's World and Women's Running, and the founder of LiftRunPerform.com. She discusses how she got started into running and coaching, how she recommends runners should incorporate strength training into their routines, and how hard it can be as a woman in a male-dominated field such as coaching. If you haven't already, make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And follow our Instagram at distance underscore daddies. And with that, let's get into it. today's episode, we have Mary Johnson, a running coach, strength coach, founder of Lift Run Perform, athlete, and mom of two kids. She's been featured in Shape, Live Strong, Women's Running, Runner's World, Tracksmith, and more. Thanks for joining us, Mary. Thank you for having me. Of course. I guess to begin with, what made you initially get into that uh, Philly Marathon that kind of, I guess, got the ball rolling with everything that you've created so far? I was, um, so I rode crew in college and I was navigating post-collegiate athletics and just like post-collegiate identity really. And I was working long hours in the fashion industry and um, I just, I, I needed to f- kind of have a goal that was outside of work. And I really liked running. I had run a couple seasons of track in high school, so like a rational person would do, I signed up for a a marathon. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have a goal initially or you were just, I just want to finish? Oh, definitely. I just want to finish. Um, yeah, I mean, I had not been continuous with running. Um, like I definitely loved running throughout college. Um, but rowing was my goal and I was hoping to row, um, post collegiately, but with rowing, there's just, so much involved, um, like water and people and boats. Um, but with running, you just need yourself and sneakers and at the time just a Timex watch. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just, I just wanted to finish and say that I had done a marathon. I had no desire to continue running afterwards. Um, and then in fact, after that first marathon, I didn't run another one. Like I got in this trend where I would run a marathon and then just basically do nothing for the rest of the year. And then the next year I did the same thing. I ran a marathon, then basically did nothing. And each time I was getting a little bit closer to, um, a Boston qualifier. Um, and so a couple years later I was like, I bet if I trained and hired a coach, like I could probably get that BQ. Um, so I ended up getting my first BQ in 20, uh, I guess 2013. So like it was actually right after the bombings. I was going for my BQ when the bombings happened and oh, wow. um, obviously wasn't in Boston, but it was like a shock to hear about what was going on. And so I was able to run Boston the year after the bombings, which was incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was it just chasing that BQ that kind of got you to be more consistent or something else? 
Yeah, the that and also my experience with the coach. Um, like I had, I mean, I was self motivated, but working with someone who knew what they were doing from a programming perspective um, was just really exciting. And um, I obviously hadn't been coached since college, so um, it was exciting to put my trust in training and somebody else once again. And, um, like, I really like proving people wrong. So like when I ended up running Boston, I was like, you know, I bet I could break 310. And he was like, no, you can't. And then I did. So it was just like, I started being competitive with myself and then, um, with my coach too. Um, and that, that too is obviously what kind of brought me down the coaching road eventually, not like right, not right away, but, um, I think when I realized what he was doing and I like added up like, okay, he's like making a good chunk of change doing this. And why couldn't I do it? So, um, I kept working in fashion for a while after that point. Um, and I left in 2015 and I was like, I can't, I need to go into something that I'm way more passionate about. Um, and so I got into strength and conditioning and coaching and the running came later in 2016. But, um, you know, I would say my relationship with my coach was like the start of the evolution of like what is today. How did you find that coach? Was it somebody that you knew personally or in the community or was it somebody like virtual? <laughs> Twitter. So oh, wow. I was, yeah, I was living in New York City and um, t- Twitter used to be a big like people would be like, we're going to go run now because Instagram wasn't a thing yet. And I was noticing people were getting together to run in Central Park and I didn't have any running friends. So I was like, hey, could I join your group? And there was a person that headed that group up. um, And yeah, I met him and then a lot of people that he ultimately coached through um, social media. So I feel like I've always been heavily invested in the running slash social media scene. Makes sense. And then, sorry, go ahead, Kyle. Uh, what got you in then into the strength and conditioning stuff? So um, when I I was laid off from fashion marketing, but it was, you know, I joke and say it was the best worst day ever um, <laughs> because I was just already on my way out. I was mentally done. And um, I was either thinking of going the physical therapy route or like coaching, strength and conditioning, fitness. Um so when I ultimately was laid off, I had a lot of conversations with people um, just in both industries. Um, and it seemed that, sorry, PTs, people who were in PT were like, it's great, it's rewarding, but it takes a long time and it's expensive. And so I thought, you know, maybe my path will bring me down that way. Um, but for me, my undergrad was in uh, marketing. So all my prereqs were business related. So in order for me to go to PT school, I would have had to do a whole new set of prereqs and then PT school. And I was already in my late twenties at that point. So I eventually met with somebody at the strength and conditioning gym, um, where I live and unexpectedly he asked if I wanted to intern and, you know, I was kind of at the point where I had nothing to lose and, um, I had made a small severance. I was super, like I'm very privileged in that I was, I, I am married and my husband had a very, has a very steady job. Um, so I was able to kind of like navigate this unknown for a little bit, feeling financially secure. So I'm like very cognizant that I had a lot of privilege and opportunity to do that. Um, 
And so I took on this unpaid internship at the gym and I was like, I knew nothing. It was super humbling. And especially as a female, there's so few females in strength and conditioning. Um, and I was the first female to like actually work. I think they have had like had a female intern up to that point, but, um, I eventually got hired from the gym and super daunting, um, especially as a runner in this like strength and conditioning world. Um, but you just, my, the person who I, who brought me in was like, you know, the thing about fear is that you just have to do what you're scared of. And the more you do it, the less scary it becomes. And he was right. I just kept showing up and I learned everything about coaching, form, programming from the bottom up. And Mike Ramphone, the owner of the gym, took a shot on me. Um, he, he hires based on character and, um, you know, he believes that the rest can be learned. And, um, that's, definitely what he did with me. He hired me on character. He also hired me because I would wake up at five in the morning to show up. Um, <laughs> and I don't think a lot of people wanted to do that. Um, but yeah, I grabbed the opportunity and that was definitely like Mike taking a chance on me was the pivot point for what I was able to do. And like Mike has continued to be a huge mentor and important person in my life ever since. Do you feel like being a female like created anything, um, any barriers into your entry into the both the strength world and the running coaching world? Yeah, I think um, I've noticed, it, like you know, maybe it's me projecting or maybe it's insecurity, but I do think females are treated a little bit differently. Um, like I've been, I've been involved in like cohorts before where I can tell like they're led by males and I can tell that I'll speak up, but it's kind of, um, rare that I ever see females speak up, but especially in like groups that are both male and female, like they have both genders going on. Um, so I feel like running coaching, I have definitely seen it. Strength coaching, for sure. I think um, there are getting to be more and more female coaches who are becoming more prevalent, more outspoken. Um, but I think, you know, it's just about confidence. And then also like one of the things that I, um, from the very beginning, like you, everyone's going to have their own ego, but it doesn't mean they're a good coach. So mm -hmm. as long as I have confidence in myself and what I do and what I know, I have confidence to admit that I'm wrong. I have confidence to say, to like stop someone and be like, I don't know what you're talking about and not feel stupid about it. Um, and so as long as I'm confident in myself and I'm trying to do good for my athletes and the people I'm working with, I literally can never go wrong. And the people whom I'm intimidated by or they put off a show or whatever, that's on them. And so like, and I still kind of, that's kind of my like core values to this day. It's like, if I do get overwhelmed by anything, um, it's just kind of like, all right, well, am I being true to myself? Am, am I asking the questions that I need to? Do I admit when I'm wrong? And am I just trying to do the best I can for the people that I'm coaching and serving? If so, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, definitely. That stuff's all extremely important, I think, when you're looking for a coach and coaching people um, in, in any sort of setting. Um, do you feel like kind of on the other end, was there anything that being a female made it like easier, like in terms of maybe relating to certain situations that like if a female came to us, we wouldn't have any sort of, um, ability to relate to. Definitely. Yeah. And I think 
you know, something as, I don't want to say simple, but like from a social media marketing perspective, the fact that I am female, like it's, it's proven knowledge that females on a social media platform tend to get more engagement, more following. It, it definitely boosts the, the presence or the, the brand that the female's trying to promote. So, um, for sure, like there's a lot of, of pros in being a lady in this situation. And like, I, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of seizing the opportunity of like, you know, most of whom we work with at Lift and Perform are females. We do have males too, but like we have a lot of women. Um, I really like that demographic of the working female, not necessarily mom, but like the working female between her, like she has enough income to pay for a running coach. So she's in her like, you know, early to mid twenties, all the way up to her forties. Um, a lot of moms, a lot of professionals. Um, I feel like there's becoming more people to support that woman, but you know, even three years ago, there wasn't much there for her. And so that's kind of like where the, the strategy has been from like a business perspective and coaching perspective. And for sure, being a a female does help. And then also being a female and a male, like a a scary, intimidating male dominated strength world. Like I've heard a lot of people say, you know, you've given me the confidence to go to my gym and work out. And like, I see you working out with the guys and that makes me feel like I can do that too. So it's like, I think that's one of the other pros of being a woman in this field. It's like, I've shown up, I've shown that I'm confident here and I'm going to show that to other people so that they too can be confident and not be scared about going and lifting with the guys and putting themselves out there. Um, so it's like changing the the narrative on like how a female perceives herself. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And how would you say you were able to like build that confidence to both? Cause it's very like vulnerable. I feel like to, be that one female in the group of men um, doing the workouts. So partly showing up that way, but also like in terms of your posts on Instagram and all of that, they're also very vulnerable and you're sharing, you know, these injuries and setbacks that other people usually shy away from. So how do you gain that confidence to be able to do that? I mean, I will admit that as social media has grown, it's a little bit more intimidating. Um, because it's like, especially someone who like, I've consistently, I've, I've been injured a lot and hopefully what I've just, I just had this surgery and hopefully that I'm going to be on my way to not being constantly injured. Um, but like, I, I feel like I have nothing to be ashamed of if I'm doing all of the right things. You know, it goes back to the, the core values. Like I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not under eating. I'm not, not taking my vitamins. I'm not, I'm still getting my period. I'm strength training. I'm not being reckless with my mileage. So I have nothing to be apologetic about. I'm going to put, put it out there. And if you choose to judge another injury or whatever, that's on you. Um, but I think like I'm doing everything I can in my power to do good for myself training wise. So like I have nothing to be ashamed of. Um, Mm -hmm. But that said, with more growth comes a little bit more judgment. And I think I've definitely become a bit more filtered of like what I'm sharing. Um, Like the surgery, for example, I was pretty quiet about it until post-surgery just because I needed to, 
I mean, it was such a big, um, so I, I had this, um, labral repair, FAI, um, surgery just five days ago. And, um, like it was a huge personal decision to get it done. And I definitely wanted to make sure that I was doing it for the right reasons. And those being long-term health, being able to just like play with my kids better. Um, I was starting to have pain doing just daily things, walking with my kids, sitting on the floor with my kids. I couldn't even sit on a chair without a back for more than five minutes without having hip pain. Um, so I just needed to get to a place where like I was making all of the decisions for myself. And I kind of joke sometimes that social media is this like matrix. It's like, are you yourself? Or are you who you want to be for social media? Because <laughs> it is who you've portrayed yourself to be. So for this situation, I really wanted to take myself out of social media, figure out my surgeon by myself, figure out the timing by myself, figure out what I needed to do. I know enough people to support me and to ask the right questions to my surgeon. Um, so yeah, um, this is a long-winded way of saying like, yeah, I'm cool being vulnerable, but at the same time, I think with big life things, you know, birth too, like, talk about birthing a baby on Instagram till it's over. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a, there's still a large, a large element of privacy that, um, is important. And then I think too, like for, for viewers to like consumers to remember, like Instagram, social media is for sure a small snippet of somebody's life and that person's controlling what they put out there for better or worse. Yeah, for definitely. Sure. Um, just as somebody, I guess, myself that has also struggled with injuries kind of like you were saying uh where doing everything right in terms of like mileage nutrition uh everything like that um which is tough did that kind of i guess lead the strength uh training into the running world like when you were just working at the gym or how was that transition yeah so i was <laughs> i used to be healthy um, I, I was actually not, I mean, I was lifting to some degree, um, but I didn't really get like really into progressive overload programs until I had my first baby. And that was three years ago. Um, and I was struggling with what I think now is a result of like this labral stuff. Um, but I was just, I was weak postpartum. I was super weak. I needed to strength train and, um, I, you know, I took time off. It didn't work sadly. Um, and I went to Mike Ramphone and I was like, Mike, you know, I've never really asked you much, um, except for a job. Um, but can you make my program? Like, can you help get me out of pain and make me stronger? And he was like, sure. Well, absolutely. Let's see what you got. So, um, I would say it's funny because lift and perform was created in 2017. So lifting was there to a degree, but it w really wasn't until 2020, 2019, that I was like really invested myself. And that's because honestly, it got me out of pain at the time. It got me out of surgery for a solid three years and I started enjoying it. And like when I couldn't run, I mean, we've all been there where we're, we wake up and we're like, I hope this run doesn't hurt today. Like it's tough to admit it, but I think we've, yeah. we've been there. Um, I didn't want to feel that anymore. I didn't want to be like, I hope this runs okay. Like that small, that slight anxiety where you're like, How's it going to feel today? Um, lifting made that completely disappear for me for a long time. And so, um, yeah, that 
for sure, um, I not, not only got better as a strength coach, but then also changed everything about me as an athlete too. I got faster, stronger. I PR'd in my 5k, 10k. Um, like it's just, I'm, I, I resist the gym rat comment that Mike likes to put on me, but I do, I do like the gym now. It's, it's nice. So it's like, if I can't run, I feel at home in the gym. Yeah, I know just myself, I had like a chronic injury I was dealing with uh, and kind of moved into the lifting world because I feel like running was very similar to lifting in that you put in what you get out uh, and you can see those results uh, typically, like whether you're increasing your weight uh, that you're able to lift, kind of like dropping times in running. So I think that was pretty synonymous, which helped. Um, But I guess going from there, uh, what has been your, I guess, mantra or uh, just plan for when you do like the strength training for your athletes? Yeah, so um, I assume that most like so I put out like a monthly program. Um, I was doing a lot of custom stuff and strength coaching, but pretty tough to, I mean, it's super time intensive. Um, and I'm also coaching running athletes too. Um, and also running athletes often don't want to pay both a running and strength coach. So, um, I ultimately have landed on putting out a monthly program under the assumptions of the person is probably trying to accompany their running with strength training. So it's gotta be something that's like, you know, 40 to 50 minutes, um, it's got to cover all of the things a runner would need. So, you know, the five basic movement patterns, um, but then with an emphasis on like core and single leg stability and, uh, posterior chain. Um, and then also when I, when I kind of publish it and present it to the people who are doing it on a monthly basis, I do a walkthrough, a video walkthrough where I explain like, look, you know, we don't like lifting will make us a faster runner, but at the same time, we do need to run in order to race fast. So like, here are some modifications. Here's how you put this into your running routine, because that's what I notice is just lift uh, missing from the lifting world. It's like, sure, you can do these 60 to 90 minute programs, but when are you going to run? So having somebody who can bridge that gap of like, for the runner who um, isn't injured, like you or me, but someone who just wants to accompany their they're training with a solid lift program that's progressive overload and, you know, is moving them from phase to phase in a positive direction. Um, they're really, there's nothing out there still. Um, and again, it's a hard sell because similar to running training, lifting training is boring. Um, but when I have people stay on the lift program from month to month, they have huge gains. They feel good. All of the little nags go away. You know, like you guys know that, like, I don't need to sell it to you, but for, uh, for most runners, you do, they don't perceive that you need to lift as part of training. They're like, Oh, lifting is that that, like extra thing that I don't really (laughs) want to do. Um, but it's, it's like flipping the narrative. It's like, no, lifting training is actually like part of training. And if you don't get your lifting in, you didn't get your training for the day. Um, so yeah, I would say the program is just super straightforward. It's, I, I have started writing in modifications for a more advanced lifter. So like a lot of what I program will be 
kettlebell or dumbbell based, but then I can add in the notes like experience lifters, add a barbell and do a, you know, barbell bench press instead of dumbbell bench press, or instead of a kettlebell deadlift, if you're comfortable, do a trap bar deadlift. So like I start putting a little bit of, um, challenges in there, um, for the person who might have a little bit more experience. Yeah. Do you, you still get a lot of people concerned about like bulking up when they're adding in the strength training or not as much? Not as much. Um, I mean, they don't talk to me about it, <laughs> but it, I mean, I like, I think last year I was on a couple of podcasts where both people were like, but what about bulking up as part of lifting? Like we don't want to be bulky <laughs> and it's, I, I don't, yeah, I, I feel like I don't hear that often, but I'm sure people are thinking it and concerned about it. Um, they just know not to talk to me about it because I have a zero tolerance for that. How do you balance the running and the strength in the programs? Do you do like keep the hard days hard, like uh, lift on the days where you're doing like workouts or something for running? Do you do kind of like a progressive where lifting throughout the week or how does that look? Yeah. So I usually program, um, unless it's, uh, more of like a base building season where I'll do three days of programming, um, where day one and day two, like day one, we'll have like a lower, um, like main lift. So like a squat will be the A series and the day two will be like an upper as the main lift. And then the, the third day will be more of like an oxidative recovery day. Um, but then moving in season, um, I usually only, I act like this month, for example, it's like a two day where, um, most of the, um, rep logic is like still, um, a hypertrophy based. Um, and the third day is more like core rehab, some band stuff, um, mobility. So, um, it's total body, but again, with like usually day one is an emphasis on lower, day two is an emphasis on upper. And then when I talk to people about programming it in, I'm like, keep it simple. Yes, keep your hard days hard. But then like if you're just too exhausted to get your lift in on the same day as a workout, move it to the next morning and start thinking less about like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and more about these 24, 48 hour cycles where you're just trying to maximize your recovery time. So like if you're lifting, I'm sorry, if you're doing your workout at seven in the morning and then you're going to lift the next morning, then get that lift in quick and early so that you're maximizing that recovery, like the recovery hours to mm -hmm. into your next easy run. Um, and usually when I talk to people about like maximizing recovery hours, not days, like you see this light bulb go off and they're like, Oh, I get it. Um, th and the only thing I ever say is like, don't do it the day before a workout. Um, but honestly, even like, just don't go ham on your lower body. Like I think runners just think a little bit too much about that perfection of when am I going to lift and run? Um, like it's really just don't hammer your lower body before you go do a track workout. It's not that hard. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then uh, I had a question from a female athlete on what do you think there are some main areas that you should focus on just as like a woman, if there are any? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like that could be quite controversial. Um, I don't think, I, I suppose, you know, posterior chain and, and glutes and core, I guess core in particular, um, and for like a postpartum woman too. I know that was not mentioned in the question, but like, 
I think often I see postpartum women totally forgetting how much strength they lost when they had their ba- when they grew with a baby and then had it. Um, so I would say for the female, I could maybe make the argument of a little bit more core work, um, but also you know the the opposing thought here is like if you lift, you're doing core work. You know, like I don't I'm not a huge believer of like having somebody go through a whole series of dedicated core work. If you're actually lifting enough and you're actually bracing enough and you know how to lift a weight, you don't really have to do additional core work. Um, but two, there's this learning curve and you like, I don't expect anyone to figure that out on their first lifting phase. You know, it kind of takes it like everything else, a lot of consistency and dedication to be like, oh, like every time I pick up a weight, I'm actually using my core. So I don't have to do more core work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say for a female, maybe a little bit, like if you want to talk semantics, maybe core work could be something. But I wouldn't put that as a lady only necessity. If, if you have athletes that are just doing the strength training versus ones who are doing the strength and running, like let's say the strength only is not necessarily a runner. Uh, do the programs look different? Do you do more like running specific strength exercises or just like kind of just heavy lifting like type stuff in general? Yeah, I, I don't do that anymore. Um, like I don't really do any ad hoc pro- programming on the side. For a while, like a year or two, um, I guess a couple of years, I was coaching this guy who just genuinely and loved like hybrid training. He loved lifting heavy and he loved running. Um, and so for him, I could get a little fun and get a little bit more complicated with rep and set schemes and doing things like, like cluster reps and, um, cluster, uh, sets and, um, you know, wave loading and things like that. But, um, with, with the runners and with what I put out on a monthly basis, it's a, a just a bit more traditional, um, every now and then, like if they're, if I do know there, a lot of runners are using the lifting cause they're in the middle of seasons or in between seasons, I will get a little fancy and do, um, extra block set reps to get more volume in. But, um, especially when you're in season, it's like, if there's no, in my opinion, there's no need to make it super complicated. You just have to, it's maintenance, you know, like we're not, we're not going for any PRs here. We're trying to maximize the running and like anything gained in the gym is a bonus. Yeah, makes sense. So you kind of touched on like the five basic movement patterns um, a little bit ago. Can you just spell those out for people who might not know and are kind of newer to lifting and looking um, to get into it? Yeah, the squat, hinge, push, pull, carry. And I think sometimes that's five, but sometimes people would argue that a lunge could be a six. Um, But Dan John says those are the five. So I listen to Dan John. Yeah, definitely. Dan John's the best. Um, and then would you say um, how many times a week should people be doing this sort of thing? I mean, I know that's kind of like, in my opinion, if you do the twice a week, all body strength, where, um, you know, I mentioned for like a day one, you're having a, a lower as your main lift, but you're not forgetting like you might move on to upper body in like your B and C series, but you're not, not doing a hinge that day. You know what I mean? Like if your A1 is a squat, you're not, not going to do 
single leg, leg deadlift or an RDL or something else later in the program. So, um, you know, that would just have you lifting twice a week. Um, but I also think, you know, the, the argument of like having, uh, lift like movement snacks and like getting in, um, getting it in when you can, like, that's another thing I'll talk to people about if they can't get the whole lift in. Cause usually what I program is like 45 to 60 minutes. If you can't get the whole thing in, then try your A series, try your B series. And then if you have time, maybe later in the afternoon, do your C series. I know I've been there with, I have kids that wake up from naps and I didn't finish my lift. So I'll do it later in the day. Um, it's not the most desirable, but I, I think the literature suggests that like, if that happens every once in a while, it's fine. It's not like you're making less adaptations. Um, and so with that in mind, I know some coaches will recommend like, as long as you're doing these like 15 minute movement snacks throughout the week, like instead of doing two days of 60 minutes, have four days of 15 minutes. I think some people might be able to easily more easily wrap their head around that, but, um, that's not really what I do personally. And so I don't, I kind of like to walk the walk. So I don't, encourage it that much because it's not like what I would consider optimal um, mm-hmm. but it works you know yeah I think um, what I've always told people is like doing something is better than than doing totally. nothing usually so um, whatever works for your schedule is usually kind of the best frequency for you but yeah I think I agree um, if you're kind of looking for performance at that kind of two to three times a week Right. is probably ideal. Um, and then how do you kind of periodize that if, say, you have someone who's kind of peaking for for Boston or something like that? How do you taper their strengthening down, or do you not? No, for sure. Um, and on what you just said, like, if somebody is totally strapped for time, then it's, like, it, it, I think we all have those things that we de- that we need to manage and mitigate, whether it's a hip thing or a calf thing or whatever. So in those scenarios, I'm always like, don't ever stop those. You know, that's your like bare minimum. You have to get that in. Hopefully you're working with a physical therapist or you have someone that's given you like specific exercises that you need. Um, Because inevitably when somebody stops doing those, something goes. Um, So I think above all, like it's important to remember that. Um, But when it comes to like coming close to race day, um, I usually will change out the program like four weeks. I think people start getting pretty fatigued out like six weeks leading into bigger races. Um, and I start with just like the coaching side of it where I'm like, look, if you need to nap instead of lift, then you should nap. Absolutely. Like we are big fans of naps here. Um, a lift six weeks out is not going to make or break what you're about to race. Um, but then from a programming perspective, um, there's a couple ways that I've done it personally and then I'll give it. So like one is just decreasing volume. So like decreasing lower volume, especially. So like instead of doing, you know, three to four sets of lower body, decreasing that to two sets or just having small like doses of it. Um, I did that type of lifting going into a half I ran in May and it was awesome. I was motivated to do it because it was just two sets of whatever. Um, And I didn't like, I would actually do those lifts, um, where it was like, you know, three to four sets of upper body, but then two sets for whatever lower body, let's say, I don't know, like a split squat, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually motivated to do it because I knew going into my run the next day, I wouldn't feel like trash. So I think you could either lower the dosage 
or I think also considering changing from a more hype, um, like hypertrophy model to more of a strength-based model is actually fine. Um, because you're not like, you're not really touching on strength in your running. Like at that point, you're pretty much doing cardiac output, aerobic mileage. Like if in a marathon you're doing like marathon pace mileage, maybe threshold. Um, so in, in your lifts, you could probably be doing lifts of, you know, what a strength output would be between two to five reps. Um, so I think that works too. Um, one of my, one of the coaches I'm close with at the gym, he gave that to somebody, um, a friend of mine who just broke three a year ago and it worked great on her. Um, it was more of like a French contrast model where it was like contrasting, you know, rep schemes of two to five with some quick plyos. Um, so I've seen both work, but, um, definitely changing between four to six weeks out is like a no brainer for sure. Gotcha. And that would be mostly just kind of to recap, mostly um, decreasing volume, but keeping intensity roughly the same. With lifting. Yeah. Decre yeah. Yeah. Decreasing volume, keeping intensity the same or yeah. I mean, I guess both would be decreasing volume. So yes. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. And then, um, what would you say to somebody who's kind of on the opposite end and maybe they're listening to this and they're maybe six to eight weeks out from a marathon and are like, oh shoot, like I haven't been doing any strength. Would you say they should start incorporating it now or maybe hold off until their next training block? I usually, I kind of have people hold off. I mean, I think there's not, you can start strength whenever. Um, and also there's nothing ever wrong with there's other, like, I think runners forget that, like, there's a lot of things you can do in the gym. You don't have to, like, you're going to get strength carryovers by bench pressing, by rowing. Like, the, the, the central nervous system stimulus is still, like, you're still working the system. Um, so there is still benefit, but I would probably just be a little bit more uh, choosy about what muscle groups you're actually dosing if you're starting strength training like eight weeks out it's not that you can't do it it's just that you should be a little bit more conservative and it also I would assume somebody's going to be quite sore if they're not doing anything mm. um so it's not that it's going to be worthless um but I would probably just watch lower body and um be specific and intentional about what you're doing yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times, like you said, the neural response and the hormonal response is really undervalued. So adding Usually. in some of these um, kind of bigger muscle group, upper body exercises can still have carryover that can help increase the strength. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, like, the more I see runners lift, the, the more they get it. But it's like, it's difficult to explain to someone like, yeah, actually bench press is doing a lot. I mean, it's not necessarily like we're not doing running specific work, but like it's creating a better athlete. And we, I think most everyone can agree that a better runner is a better athlete, a better athlete is a better runner. So why would we want to be a better athlete through lifting? Um, so I, I feel like I've gotten in tiffs with people before where they're like, oh, upper body, like you don't need to do it. Or like upper body propels you up a hill. And it's like, that's, not not true but it's like that's so not why you do upper body and there's like so many other reasons how yeah. do you uh adjust training plans for 
athletes doing like different distances so let's say somebody who's training for like a 1500 or something short like 5k to like an ultra marathon does that change or does it kind of just do these kind of same routines uh in general as a whole like maybe a couple tweaks but so yeah i don't see a lot of the shorter distance people honestly um so i don't personally have to i I would definitely think that their lifting would change quite a bit Um, most of whom i'm building programs for like what i'm putting out is addressing the person who's doing half marathons up Um, one of our coaches and she's a good friend of mine um is a pro ultra runner and she's been doing my lifts for like six to eight months, maybe even a year at this point. And she has felt the best she's ever felt. Um, so every now and then she'll text me and be like, here's what I'm doing in training. Does this make sense with your lift program? Um, so I'll like on an ultra specific level, like I'll kind of work with her, um, specifically. Um, but I mean, it's testament that for the most part, she's completely, I'm completely hands off with her. She's just taken my lift program, has gone with it. She, she texted me a couple of weeks ago. She was like, Mary, I'm onto hundred mile weeks. I'm having trouble run, uh, lifting three days a week. Is that okay? I was like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's totally fine. Let's figure a way to like, make sure you can still do your hundred mile weeks and get the lifts in. Um, so I think at that point things get tweaked, but most athletes and probably most athletes listening to this are not doing those hundred mile weeks. And again, she's like a professional ultra marathoner. So, um, yeah, I mean, runners just need to be strong. And that's like, you asked earlier, what's the, like, what's the logic behind the lift programs and lifting for me in general. And it's just, runners just have to be strong. It's not, it's not rocket science. Many are just not strong. And like, how can we get you there without sacrificing the running part, which is what a lot of people love. And sometimes that means stepping away from running for a little bit, but when people do, they realize how much more they love running after that, um, that step down. So, um, or they don't, but you know, I think everyone has their own journey and how they like, like and do running. So teach their own. What do you think is the what do you think is the hardest thing for new runners to figure out? With lifting? Just uh, in general, like running or lifting. Um, I mean, I think the like the biggest thing that all I noticed between a more experienced runner, and that's not necessarily a faster runner. I just mean like experienced, is that runner is consistent to a fault. And they still, then it's up to some, like a coach to remind them that even if something's in their training calendar, they don't have to get it done. Like we, we, there's a little bit of autonomy here. And if you feel like crap, you don't do the run, we'd sub for something else. Um, but the difference between the seasoned runners and the brand new ones is just consistency. The people who get out at the same time, every single day, up, they upload their training, they ad- adjust their training calendar like clockwork at the same time every single day. Um, that's the person who sees changes from season to season, whereas the beginner runner, it's almost, re- and, and I went through this too, because I, you know, in between marathons, I went back to doing nothing. This is back in 2010, like the partying, working too much. And for me, it was like, no, it's now needs to just become a lifestyle. Like I need to just wake up and do something for my health that I enjoy. Um, and 
once those beginners start changing their lives by just showing up and doing the little thing, like just getting 1% better every day, that's when they can migrate over to, you know, becoming a bit more seasoned. Yeah. Uh, What prompted you to make those like sub three, four hour groups? And do you think that group setting like helps the runners achieve their goals? Yeah, the we so we call them breaking barriers, um, breaking X this year. Um, And it started with the sub three groups. We did a sub three group in 2019 and two groups in 2021. Um, And it was exactly like the concept of just doing something big with a team and not going at it alone and being able to complain about your training with each other and still have it individualized so that like if you need to adjust training because you're working or you've got something going on, we're going to support you as coaches, but we're also going to make it as team-like as possible so that you can commiserate on the training that you're doing together. Um, and so, um, yeah, they've been, they've been hugely successful. I think the first year we did it, it was kind of this like testing, oh shit, is this going to work thing? Um, and when I was getting the notifications of all of the women going under three, I was like, oh my God, it's working. And that was the day, the first day that we did it, it was cold. It was super windy. There's a lot of headwind. It was in Indy. Um, and I had heard of a lot of people not hitting what they wanted to hit that day, but there's just something different when you're running next to somebody else that, you know, you did training together you met like you could give them a hug at the starting line. You're wearing the same kit. There's this this power of you know doing it for somebody else. We all saw we see it with Shalene Flanagan, um, or we saw it a couple years ago when you do something for somebody else. It just doesn't feel as difficult, and that's the concept there. Is like you you get this kind of out of body experience when you're doing it with somebody else because you're working together. And so after a couple of years of doing it for the three hour mar- uh, barrier barrier, we were like, well, we have to do it for for more, more groups. Um, so, um, the, the challenge is just finding enough, like finding coaches and people like great coaches to do that. Um, so we're now at a big enough coaching size where we have coaches who want to invest themselves in helping people break for and BQ as well. Um, so we have the sub four, a BQ team, and then, um, we have two, we had, quite a few applications for our sub three groups this year. So both of our sub three groups, um, we have 26 women, um, across both teams this year. Yeah, that's crazy. And one man, sorry, we have one, (laughs) we have our first man this year. (laughs) Nice. Is there a specific reason you picked uh, those marathons or is it just time wise? Um, timing, I think honestly, weather, um, nowadays, in my opinion, you have to run a marathon in November or December to get, I mean, I hate to say it because I love marathons like Chicago. I love Hartford, but it's, it's so challenging to get a cold dip nowadays. And you have, it, it's kind of like optimizing the potential for success. So Indy typically going to be chilly. CIM historically always perfect weather and both courses are like quite fast. So, you know, when you're going for a big barrier, what, how can you make your chances the best they can be? And then obviously for sub four and BQ, it's at Richmond again in November, an awesome course. Um, I might say maybe CIM is the fastest course out of all of them. Um, but yeah, I, I think if you're trying to do something big with your running, 
on one hand, sure, like you do your training according to the course, like Boston, for example, Boston isn't a brutal course if you train for it. Like all my PRs are on Boston. <laughs> um, but for the fall in particular, um, it's like find a cold day, find a, a course that suits your running style and just go for it. And then for your coaching part, you know, you say you have all these people signing up for you and wanting to hit these sub goals, you know, how important do you feel like it is to have a coach to kind of lead you to that? I mean, there are certainly people who, there's tons of people who don't have coaches. Um, I think it's a personal choice, really. Like I, and I am a coach and I have a coach, um, but I also have friends that don't have coaches and they enjoy coaching themselves. So I, I don't like, I think a coach can be super helpful. Um, there's, we all know the pros, right? Like we can take ourselves out of training. We can give somebody training that they didn't think they would actually be able to do. I know that's what I feel all the time when, when I'm actually running, like I'll look at a workout and be like, there's no way I can do this. And then I do it. Um, I think a lot of people who have coaches feel that way. Um, but like not to undersell coaches here, but you can run, you can do stuff. You can break huge barriers without coaches too. Um, so I think there's just, it's a personal preference, preference. There's a time and a place. And I think that is how we kind of model our, our coaching business too. Like we are a business, but at the same time, we understand that there are seasons of life. People might not want to coach and it's not a personal jab. It's somebody wanting to have unstructured running and there's nothing wrong with that. I think I've heard of coaching groups out there that are kind of like Olympic training or bust. And we are just not that way. (laughs) Um, And then I just had a few other, two other questions about your coaching specifically um, for running. How do you gauge like the intensity on easy days or how do you prescribe that, I guess? So we, um, We use the Vita application. So technically, you know, there's a range that is given um, and it's based on the Jack Daniels calculator. Um, So, you know, just a a number, an output. Um, But then usually I like to um, explain to my athletes. I use an app called Loom a lot. um, And it's basically like I can record myself over their training calendar and I can explain like, here's what I want from this. Um, So for easy, I do a lot of talking about like, you know, we want it to be an effort level two, two and a half out of 10. So we can do it in numbers. We can do it in, um, like I like to think about using our senses when we're out there. So can you see what color the sky is? Can you smell something? Can you hear things? Like, can you actually cognitively use your senses while you're running? And if you can't probably running too fast. Um, the third one I like talked about to people and they either love it or they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, is the color test. So like if you were running easy and I'm like, what color do you see? Um, I want them to say purple, blue, uh, you know, teal. I don't want them to say orange, pink, burgundy, the hotter colors. You're probably going a little bit too fast. And again, some people either really resonate to that or they think I'm crazy. Um, but I usually give people those three cues. Um, and especially in something like the summer where, it's like all bets are off and, um, you know, reinforcing that like easy really just can't be easy enough. Um, and there's really no ego that, that comes from easy days. Um, so it's like, yeah, there's a spit out, there's an algorithm, but at the same time, 
look, coaching starts as simple as talking about how easy to run an easy day. Yeah, yeah, I think that auto-regulatory type stuff is really important. Um, and yeah, I like the many different ways you give your athletes because everybody, I think, has different things they relate to, like you said. So, um, all right, the last question we had, um, it's it's our daddy duos. So it's just kind of like your top two of a certain thing. And then we do a draft. So um, basically just a snake draft of your top two strength exercises. Um, like personally or that, that I like to get? Yeah, uh-huh. it can be just your two favorite things or whatever you think is most important. It's just wide open, whatever you want to answer it as. So um, we're going to have you pick one first and then we'll all pick one and then okay. we'll pick it again. Okay. Okay. So you can go ahead. I would say probably rear foot elevated split squat. Oh, man. That's a good one. That was mine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mine too. <laughs> All right, Kyle, you can go ahead. Uh, I would say I really like box jumps with, like, a weight to build, like, some good power from the legs. Interesting. It's a good one, but I've heard. I had a friend get a stress fracture doing that. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a risky one for sure. Um, I'll go with a farmer's carry. Um, I feel like they're, they're a good, like you said, a, a core exercise, um, that also promotes just that good posture when you're fatigued and then, um, they're very, uh, adaptable. So you can do them overhead, um, suitcase carries, marching, different things like that. So Brandon, um, I'm gonna start off with a nice basic one. Um, love doing squats just because I'm not good at bench pressing that much so usually squats like leg days are fun for me um so that'd probably be my first one and do i need to go again yep um probably just uh like lunging dumbbells as well i feel like those always hit like everything for me whenever i do those like on a leg and arm perspective um so that's usually like a good one that i like to do as well okay um I guess this isn't really a strength exercise, but I'll go with pogo jumps. Um, I like these again, cause they're kind of adaptable. You can do stiff knees if you wanna hit more of the um, calf muscle complex or bend the knees a little bit more if you wanna hit the quads. And I think they're really important for bone building. Um, so I'll take pogo jumps. I will go with single leg RDLs. I think it's a good strength workout and helps kind of build some single leg stability as well. And I will go with med ball work. So like light. So we're, it's not about like hoisting a med ball over your head and seeing how heavy you can chuck a ball. Um, it's more about trunk stability and output and remaining rigid as you're throwing something whether it's to a wall or to the ground so like I love just even starting tall kneel like there's really nothing as badass as just throwing a ball against a wall um and just seeing how rigid you can stay or even something like rotational med ball slam um 
because you're using everything, you know, you're rotating, you're using your butt, you're using your core, and you can get your anger out. So no, probably, <laughs> probably no more than like, I don't know, I don't really, I, I, I would say no more than like six pounds on those, but I guess if you're aggressive, you can go up to eight. Yeah. And is that just going more for like power, basically? Yeah, power output, you can, I mean, it's, you know, GPP, do it in the beginning of a workout. Um, it's, you never can go wrong. Like it's, it's always, it, it gets you moving and it gets you moving multi-directionally too, which is what we all need. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, that was all our questions for today. So thank you um, for coming on. I think the listeners are going to learn a lot about strength training for sure and uh, how they can incorporate that into their running. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Where can people find you and your uh, website? Yeah. So um, my personal, um, so I own Lift Run Perform. So myself and fellow coaches are we live um on our computers but at liftfromperform.com um and then our instagram handle is liftfromperform and then my own personal instagram where i'm currently talking about life post surgery if you're listening to this in the month of august or september um and that's it's a marathon um so i won't be doing any running anytime soon but you can learn about hips <laughs> Sweet. Uh, definitely check that out. Thank you, guys. Thank you.